Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It is Wednesday, the 13th day of November 2019. Before we get started, let me run through that little disclaimer and then let's have some fun. Due to our extensive individual stock holdings, personally and professionally, you should assume that clients, the firm, and Mr. Truesdell has a position in all companies discussed, and thus a conflict of interest exists. Let's begin. So one of the things that we've uh, done is we've done uh, over 160 uh, connecting dots. We've changed the format a few times, changed the frequency, talked to a lot of you, and we made some changes to make it easier. Some of you like short format. Some of you like a long format. Some of you guys and gals really enjoy when we do a deep dive project. So we really sat down and said, what would make sense for most people? And what we decided is, rather than trying to promote and get things squared around on uh, you know, just a lot of promotion on a, a frequent basis, we would promote one big show about once every two weeks. We said it would be once every two weeks. I don't know if that's always gonna be the case. It might be more frequent, but um, we did a lot of thinking a lot of planning, and this will be the first episode of our Pivot. Now you'll notice a lot of the elements will be the same, but we're going to make it in such a way that if you go to dots.fm, that's dots.fm, you'll be able to see, again, everything that we're doing very efficiently and effectively. And um, again, we've kind of made it so it's pretty darn cool. So with that, I hope you will tell family, friends, neighbors, relatives, and coworkers, and we're going to include a couple of things out there that we haven't done in the past. Some, uh, we're gonna invite some people to have some commentary. We're only gonna have one person doing some commentary today, but with that, uh, there'll be more and more and more. So what do you say we get started? So recently I was in Dallas and Dallas is my hometown. That's where I was born. Haven't lived in Dallas for a long time, but my goodness, the traffic is absolutely insane there. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But quite literally a few days ago, I was in Tampa, Florida, and I was in traffic coming southbound on Interstate 75. And normally what I do is I'll head down 275 into the downtown area, but this particular day I needed to head over towards the Brandon Riverview area. And what else? Traffic came to a complete dead stop. One of the applications I use is Waze, and I like it because it tells you when you have cars off the side of the road, people, it's a collaborative program. If you haven't used Waze, I would encourage you to do it. I'll put probably in the show notes the link to it. But the big thing is traffic came to a dead stop. Well, I had a lot of time ahead of myself. I was actually just dictating in the car, doing things I needed to do. It was a little bit early in the day for video conferencing. I do a lot of Zoom video conferencing when I'm in the car traveling. And as a result, I decided to see what traffic was like on side streets. Yeah, what it was like, Crazyville. So the Brandon, Riverview, Ruskin area when it comes to traffic is utterly insane in these side roads. Well, as I was coming back from Tampa later in the evening, it was about quarter to eight, and I noticed the traffic going northbound on 75, getting off at County Line Road, 
it was what two three miles of cars just backed up trying to get off if ever there was something that would drive me nuts is spending two three maybe four hours in traffic with dead unproductive time now i say that because here's the thing i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people have basically gone dark when i say dark meaning that they really just don't pay attention to finances because at the end of the day they're just exhausted and I, I get that. It is something that I think is just absolutely, unequivocally, it's a real thing. And so as a result, I got to tell you, don't feel bad that some people might think that, well, hey, listen, you know, I, I just don't have time to study this stuff. I don't have time to keep on top of it. It really does emphasize to me that what we are doing here at Fixed Cost Financial by using technology so aggressively video conferencing, et cetera. This just makes sense. And I don't know what other people are doing out there, but we're going to be doing what we think are real things with real people, with real subjects that are of a real concern. And we're going to do it in a really efficient way. That's the bottom line. You may have heard of the Standard & Poor's Case-Shiller National Home Price Index. If you haven't, don't be surprised. A lot of people haven't heard of that thing. We pay attention to it a lot. And in August of 2019, it showed that home prices gained about 3.2% on a year-over-year -year basis. That's uh, up basically not a bad number. But it's down from the 5.6% increase that took place in 2018. Oh, me, oh, my. Now, 3.53%, that's a very healthy uh, rate of return in terms of increasing house, housing prices. It indicates that you do not have an overheated market like you had back in, the, oh, say, 2005, 6, 7, leading up to the big crash in 2008, 9. And currently, there's about a 4.1, 4.2-month supply of homes. And that's a big deal because, well, home prices in the relationship to supply and demand, there's a really strong correlation there. And not too long ago... Yeah, after 2008, the supply of homes was pretty wild and crazy, but now it's, again, condensed. So new home sales, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, is running at about 700,000, 701 or 2,000 per year. So that's a, that's a pretty good deal. That's a lot of homes, but it represents about a 1% decrease uh, from September, and it's about a 15% increase on a year-over-year -year basis. So Building permits for September are up about 11% on a year-to-year -year basis. So it looks like the housing market, well, pretty good shape. Something I want to talk to you a little bit about is the Aramco IPO. That's where the Saudis want to take their oil company and put it back into the public sector, and they want it to make it public. Here's the problem with all of these, uh, these things, okay? It has to do with the accounting and the verifiability of the numbers. And I'm not exactly comfortable with what's going on. I personally believe you've got a problem there with, well, it's no different than what's going on past tense with WeWork or WeCo, if you want to call that. You know, Adam Newman, there's no doubt about it. That was just a really bad situation. Enron, the accounting scandals that are beginning to be understood with GE, I just don't really trust this deal. So from an IPO standpoint, 
Yeah, don't count us anywhere near this thing in any way, shape, or form. It's not what we do, but I can tell you what, I would suggest staying far away from this for a while. Well, we are in the uh, full second year of the U.S.-China trade dispute. People want to call it a trade war. It's a trade dispute, and you can call it a war if you want, but I think that when you use that kind of language, you're asking for trouble. But here's the thing. One of the things I do know is this is like this Brexit, the British exit from the European Union, Brexit. This is a lot of chicken little nonsense as far as I'm concerned. And when I mean ch uh, chicken little nonsense, it's like this. You have so many people out there who have to constantly scare the hell out of people. Fear always sells. So, oh, we're going to have a recession. Oh, the economy is going to fall apart. I've been listening to this for, you know, 10 years now. I mean, we started a recovery after 2008 and 2009, but most people sat on the sidelines and they lost out a lot of money because they, well, they couldn't see through the fog. <laughs> Instead of being mature about it and rational, far too many, again, both institutional and retail investors just always want to believe things that are bad. And there's a psychological reason for that. I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, there's been some contraction, for example, in U.S. manufacturing. And the industry has pulled back a little bit. So what do people say? Oh, there's a recession coming. That's the indicator. But pragmatic investors continue to grind it out. While the worry warts, they're always claiming that everything is about to drop. Again, it's the chicken little syndrome. And it's a well-worn thing that a lot of folks simply need to just ignore it. Okay, you got to ignore it because a lot of these people, they're just looking for a reason to hit the gong and get out of the market. It's, it's always the same thing. I'm not worthy. Yeah, it's the Wayne's world. I'm not worthy. Folks. As far as I see, there's a lot of reasons to think this market's got a lot more leg ahead of itself. Let's talk a little bit about Home Depot. Now, Home Depot is the world's largest home improvement retailer. They have sales. This is an amazing number. They have sales of $108 billion. And that was for fiscal year, let's see, ending in February 2019. Now, this company is based in Atlanta, Georgia. And of course, it sells appliances and tools and paint and lumber, plumbing supplies, electrical, garden, and all sorts of other home improvement, again, supplies. And it's a big operation. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it's growing. Now, this is a place where there's an average of about 105,000 square feet. 31% of the sales come from plumbing, electrical, and kitchen. 29% from hardware and seasonal items. 21% from building materials, which I always thought was low, but it is what it is. Because they also take out of that 19% for paint and flooring. So when you combine those two, you're right at 40%, which makes sense then. Now, the company's total floor space, this is an amazing number, okay? This is huge. They have 237 million square feet. Now, why am I telling you all this stuff? Oh, me, oh, my. Because you have people out there that I meet periodically who say things like, oh, I would never invest in the stock market. You're going to lose money in the stock market. You can't make money in it. Oh, no. 
yeah, you can't make money at, well, you've got a company like Home Depot and they're doing pretty damn well. Oh, well, that's the exception to the rule. No, what it means is that you're not digging into the numbers or you have someone that you're working with that doesn't help you dig into the numbers. Ah. And as a result, if you're sitting in traffic and you don't have the time or energy to, to, to do what we do on a constant basis, I get it. Listen to the segment. I talked a little bit about traffic. So here's the thing. Home Depot, 2,287 stores. That's huge. Approximately 20% of all their stores, and this is an interesting figure, which caused us to go, uh-oh. Oh, no. 28% of their stores are in California, Florida, and Texas. About 8% of the stores are in Canada, 4% in Mexico. Bet you didn't know that. Of course you didn't know that. Nobody knows that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Their online sales is now at 8%. Now that's something that I am actually surprised at. 8% of their sales are online. That is up by 1% over 2018. Now you might say, that's not a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal because here's the thing. 70% of the homes in the United States are 25 years of age or older. So that means that a lot of these homes are going to need upgrades coming up, okay? Private fixed residential investment. If you go to the Federal Reserve and you look at what private fixed residential investment is all about, it's at a 66-year low. Represents about 3.1% of the gross domestic product. Now, I know y'all lost a lot of you with this stuff. I get it, but here's the thing. What we do here is we, we're forecasting. We're always forecasting. So at 3.1% of GDP, that's really down from the average of 46 which goes back to 1946. Now, remember when you're dealing in single digits, 100% is three digits. So when you have this, that's a big, big change. When you have one to two, that's a 100% difference, right? Two to four is a 100% difference. You got to understand that concept. So fixed residential investment, it's been a drag on the economy for the last six quarters. So this consists of purchases of private residential structures and residential equipment that's owned by landlords. Aha, now there's a key one for you. Oh. Owned by landlords and rented by tenants. So what are we talking about here? What we're talking about is that a lot of rental property hasn't been maintained. And as a result of that, it's just a matter of time before these homes are going to be sold, renovated, or People are going to say, I'm not going to this. I'm going to go into apartments. And if you have been following the massive building of apartment complexes across the country, guess what? Oh, me, oh, my. People are moving into upper scale apartments to get away from the rift raft that's out there. They have a decent credit score. And it's basically like resort living. Now, if you want to own those things, what can you do? Give us a call at 212-433-2525. And remember, all of our real estate investment trusts are purchased at net asset value. It's available for you when you use not our roadway, but our highway accounts. All highway accounts, we have a massive number of real estate investment trusts. We'd love to talk to you about it. But it is really one of those things where rather than go out and buy real estate and have to do all of that nonsense, how about delegating that stuff to somebody else? And what you do is you get to enjoy the profits of real estate the way we do it. So we talked a little bit about the Federal Reserve and the private fixed residential investment index, but there's another thing out there and it's from Harvard. Now Harvard has a thing called Lira, 
the Harvard Leading Indicator of Remodeling Activity. Very cool little thing. Pay attention to it a lot. So what the Leading Indicator of Remodeling Activity does, it provides a short-term outlook for homes on a national basis. And they're looking specifically at home improvement and repair spending by owner-occupied homes. So that's different from the Federal Reserve the private fixed residential investment index. These are people that are fixing up their own homes. Now, what's interesting is that they, are, they said, quote, at $325 billion, owner improvement and repair spending in the coming year is expected to essentially remain flat compared to market spending of $326 billion over the past four quarters. Okay, so 326, 325, I don't know about you, but a billion here, a billion there, I call it equal. So a fellow... Uh, Abe Will, he's an associate project director in the Remodeling Futures Program at the Harvard Center, said, however, today's low mortgage interest rates may help counter some of these headwinds, which could boy uh, could boost home improvement expenditure over the coming year. Now, one of the things I can tell you, I'm not a fan of Harvard. I've found a lot of their things that they talk about to be, well, kind of crappy to be blunt with you. Now, they have a reputation. The reputation is based upon, you know, good public relations, good propaganda. But the forecast that they have, well, we think it's going to need monitoring because one of the things they're projecting is a decrease uh, in the years ahead. So that, again, the growth in sales to professional contractors, again, they just simply see a pullback in remodeling by by owner-occupied residences. We just don't buy it. Uh, don't buy it a lot. Um, do think that you're going to see a lot of people remodeling and doing things. Uh, we just took a, a several homes that we have here, and we did some major remodeling to them. A lot of expenses. You know, you start throwing away 100, 200, 300,000 here and there by people. That starts adding up. And to be very blunt with you, a lot of times I've noticed we tend to be uh, cowbells. When we start to do something, other people start to do it. Not that we have any influence, but it's something that we've noticed over the years that it tends to go in sequence. So with that, um, I don't know, Harvard, you might not be exactly on target with this thing, but I will say this. It is not cheap to live out there. And again, I'll do another quick plug here at Fixed Cost Financial. If you want to own real estate, a lot of real estate and real estate investment trusts, you want to diversify instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, you got to give us a call, 212-433-2525. Oh, me, oh, my. That's 212-433-2525. Have you uh, been on Twitter lately? If you have, you're one of the oddballs that's on there. That that company is literally going to heck in a handbasket. And that's good because I don't like Jack Dorsey. I think he's a smart guy, but I just don't have a lot of use for Jack Dorsey. I really do think, I've talked about this at length, listen, some of these social media organizations out there, Twitter and Facebook in particular, these need to be regulated as public utilities. I really want you to think about that a lot. But here's the thing. You remember when you used to get on Facebook and you could see what other people were doing and people would come in and comment on your, your items and I wonder who that is, right? Well, everybody is now pigeonholed into these little chats. And I met a family the other day and they were saying how nice they, how much they like Facebook because they have their own little neighborhood network. And a lot of things came to mind about this. I kind of want to share these with you right now. 
So when you put yourself into these uh, Facebook networks and you can't get out of uh, and see what other people are doing, you're pigeonholing yourself and you're not really seeing what the rest of the world's doing. And I think at some point in time, there's going to be some attorney who's going to say, you know what, when this person talks to this person on Facebook about somebody else and what's going on, you're going to have defamation of character. You're going to have slander. You're going to have uh, homeowners associations that will be sued. You know, the number of homeowners associations that violate, especially in the state of Florida, the sunshine laws are unbelievable. And there will definitely be some litigation. Oh, a lot more coming up because I can tell you I've got something going on right now. And it's going to cause some of these people to go, oh, we should not have done that. So the bottom line is, that's one aspect of it. But have you noticed how many networking events there are? Now, here's what I see. It's a real simple thing. It's not a big deal, but pay attention to this one. All aboard! You no longer have people going to church like they used to. You still have church. Don't get me wrong. We don't understand that. There's a lot of people that go to church. But people want to interact with other people. That's the reason why people oftentimes go out to a restaurant. They could cook at home, but you don't have potlucks in a neighborhood. You don't invite neighbors over. People don't even know their neighbors. I mean, getting together for those kinds of things is really rare, and that's unfortunate. But here's the thing. What I think a lot of these networking organizations have done is replaced what was going on for a while with social networking. You know, you could get online, you could meet your friends, you could talk to things, but then it became a game, it became FOMO, fear of missing out. It really became psychologically damaging. But when you go to a networking event, you go to Meetup or you go to Everbright, and you're just, again, whether it's business or socializing, you're meeting people and you're making a connection. More and more of these groups are coming because Facebook and Twitter and others are pigeonholing people. They're keeping this open discussion. So in the past, especially for the last election, you had Republicans and Democrats and everything in between and further left and right, screaming and hollering and carrying on at one another. But the the children, the, the ones that don't have thick skin, you know, oh, mommy, Bobby says something that, that upset me. This rush to shut down political discussion, that's really bad if you think about it. I mean, it's really a bad thing. I mean, an open discussion is, is something else. And I'll tell you something else to be very blunt with you. Something that I find utterly amazing. I find it amazing that the Democratic Party, and I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, everybody does this, but the Democratic Party for so many years was the open-minded liberal. We need to have discussions. We had marches on Washington. We, we protested against the war in Vietnam and all that. And then when they get in power, they want to shut down the things that, well, us older folks were in the streets complaining about and fighting for. And it's just weird. I mean, it's just a weird thing. I mean, I find it so unusual that so many Democrats, for example, wanted to stay in Afghanistan and stay in Iraq and keep fighting in Syria. I mean, we have troops in Syria, but we never declared war on Syria. Some of these things are just don't make sense. I get it. It's all about money. Just follow the money. We got to keep killing people because that makes money for the military industrial complex. And then what we do is then we want to get our people in there and we re-educate them and teach them. And overnight they become what? Democracy pro and everything's fine. Uh, nah. It doesn't quite happen that way. So it's not a bitch or a complaint, but from a economic standpoint, you know, who's going to be in charge? So here's the thing. 
if Trump loses, are we are we going to go to war? It's about time for another war. Well, we've always been in war. Well, are we always in war? Or are we going to have another war? Do we ever have peace? I don't know if we ever had peace. We didn't have peace during Clinton because he bombed some places too. Bosnia, Herzegovina, Sarajevo, remember all that. But at the same time, it wasn't such a big deal. Listen, here's the thing. It's about following the money. And what's really weird right now in the political world is how everything turned upside down. What used to be a conservative is now a liberal. What was a liberal is a conservative. And if you understand your political history and go back what a real liberal was years ago, our founding fathers were considered liberals. And those who were the Tories that wanted to stay with the English, they were the conservatives. Ah! Yeah. One thing you can guarantee in politics, there will always be change. And one of the things I do is I call sniffing dirt. I get out and crawl around and mingle on a very casual basis with anybody and everybody. As my uh, children have always said, dad never met a stranger. That's how you learn things. You sit down and just chit chat. One of the items I want you to always remember and never forget is this. When you're out and about, especially at a Starbucks, which is basically the free co-working site for most people out there. And if you go to, for example, Panera Bread, but Starbucks is the big one. Look at the computers that everybody has. They're MacBooks. Most people have a MacBook. Now, for those of you who've got a Dell or some other product, I get it. You might be a fan of that, but you got to look at the, the devices are out there. And I have for years kept count. I, I keep a very simple thing. Like, for example, I carry a tape measure with me whenever I'm in any kind of a big box store. And I know, for example, my gate, my, the the distance between my steps is 2.8 feet. Okay, exactly. And so I keep track of the distance, the size of the aisles in stores. And it's been a good economic indicator for me because when the size of the aisles shrinks, when the number of products increases, when the facing of products, in other words, when you go to a grocery store, and, you know, it's all jimble jumbled. And then you have some kid or some lady going down and they're moving everything towards the front. So it looks nice and neat. That's called facing. When, when, in, when they have more depth in the facing, more product on the shelf, when they have narrower, the, the aisles are much more narrow. That means the economy is going good. They need space. They need to get crap out of the warehouse onto the stores. Okay. That's a fact. Oh. So one of the things we did, I, listen, we knew that the re recession was going to be really bad back in 2008 because you could track the spacing again in the aisles and you could track how much was on the shelves. It's like, well, we don't need to ship it because nobody's buying it. Might as well keep it on the, uh, on the shelves. That's just the way it is. So with that, that's one of the little things that we look at. And I also look at what are people doing with their devices? How many people have iPhones? How many people have the, you know, your MacBooks? Now, we just got done having a discussion in the office, our typical once a week, we talk about Apple at some point in time. The new MacBook came out. Our technology department will probably come out with a, a podcast supplement to this at some point in time. But again, it's, it's interesting to see what they're doing. And uh, again, this, boy, the MacBook is, is cool. I mean, if you Mac Daddy it out, 64 gigs of RAM, 8 terabytes on an SSD, I mean, this is just insane stuff. Um, it's basically more powerful than the, the big Mac. Now, 
the highest base product out there, if they, you know, just spec it out, you can get a really top-notch computer that will work well for 99.9999% of the population at $2799. Now, for what we're doing, it's going to cost about $6,200, um, give or take, because we do a lot of video, a lot of audio, a lot of production, and I expect everyone here to have the same capabilities. But what I see coming up, I think, is a really cool thing. Oh, me, oh, my. I think you're going to see a lot more people dumping the uh, iMacs and going to the MacBooks and then getting the screens that can be plugged in going back in time. So the bottom line is, I'm not going to get a lot of detail on this, don't want to really kind of go into it, but we see some basic fundamental changes. And it uh, wouldn't surprise me if uh, Apple announces at the, uh, well, the next time they report numbers, I wouldn't be surprised if they blow it out of the out of the. I mean, it's completely out of the, out of market. It's um, they're doing a pretty good job on a lot of different areas. But with that said, I got to say there are some areas that I, I think um, well we miss Steve Jobs for the massive creative innovation. But on the other hand, Tim's doing a pretty good job. But I still don't really care for Tim. So a few. Um, Months back, probably a year now or so ago, I met a lady by the name of Isabel Stevenson, and she is a life coach. Now, she won't like this because I'm going to say something that, well, I have an opinion about this. Oh, me, oh, my. About a year or two ago, even going back even further back into, uh, say, 2009 and 10, and there were a lot of people out there when I would meet on a networking basis or just in a group setting, people would, you know, what do you do? A lot of people were unemployed a few years ago. That's not the case today. You want a job, you get a job. Everybody's working. So a lot of people became life coaches. Now, life coaching is an interesting thing. You're not a psychiatrist. You're not a psychologist. And a lot of people were doing life coaching in areas that I got to tell you, I kind of thought, I don't know if you really know what you're doing. Isabel's a mom. She has six children. She's been married for over 28 years. So as a mother, she's seen things that go up and down and sideways. And she does a lot of marriage coaching. And one of the things I asked her to do, I said, could you do me a favor and give me a little audio about your principles? I've had a chance to really talk with this lady. I'm going to give you her information a little bit about how to get a hold of her. Uh, actually, let me do it right now. You can give her a call at 732-331-2246. That's 732 three two three three one twenty two forty six she's a very nice person and it's isabel stevenson at gmail.com and to clear my throat there it's isabel stevenson at gmail.com you can also get her by simply going to her website and stevenson is spelled s-t-e-p-h-e-n-s-o-n isabel stevenson.com but here's what she has to say and then i'm going to opine a little bit it's a little bit quiet but i think you'll be able to get the point Hi, I'm Isabel. I'm a life coach and your personal trainer for your mind. The first step in any situation that you want to change is to take inventory. Take inventory of your life. The good, the bad and the ugly. Write it all down. Where are you right now? What is going well? And what is frustrating you? Write it all out. That alone will release some overwhelm. That's your starting point and we'll take it from there. Talk to you next time. You got this. So my opinion on a lot of these folks that do life coaching is the fact that they, they really need to do one thing that Isabel does pretty well. And that is you have to take stock of where you're at. And that's basic fundamental project management. Now here at Fixed Cost Financial, that's what we do is 
forecasting, we're projecting, we're taking into consideration facts and figures, understanding that not everything is rational, but you have to take stock of what's going on. So she works with couples and women and parents. She uh, has uh, workshops that are online. And again, you can get a hold of her. Go to isabelstevenson.com. I got to tell you, I th- having talked to a lot of different people, I've never really profiled anybody because pretty quickly, most of these people, I go, geez, crime, you got to be kidding me. And a lot of these networking organizations, you know, I got to tell you, it's, it's, there's always kind of a thing. Lately, it's been everybody seems to be working for Northwestern Mutual, Mass Mutual, they're working for Primerica. My God, everybody's out there being a financial planner. I don't know why that is. Primerica, I guess, has recruited kind of like Mary Kay and Avon. They've got people everywhere. And if you've heard our podcast in the past, you know exactly what I feel about that situation. But here's the key thing. Sometimes people just need someone to talk to. They don't need a psychiatrist or a psychologist. They don't feel comfortable talking with family, friends, neighbors, relatives, and coworkers. You might have a best friend. You just don't want to talk to them, but you kind of want to dump on somebody. I get that. People used to try to do that with us here. I had that happen a lot of times. That's not what we do. We're an investment manager. Your people who are insurance agents, they're not your coaches. That's one of the big problems I have with Dave Ramsey and all this mixing and all this affinity nonsense that goes on with churches. You know, what does somebody do? Stay in your wheelhouse. This is a lady that uh, at least she doesn't do what other people do. Some of these people get involved in all sorts of different things. They're a life coach, and then they're also involved with Mary Kay, and then they're your Primerica agent, and they're involved in Melaleuca, and they got every multi-level marketing. Now, she stays in her wheelhouse. I'm impressed by that, and you should be too. So let's talk a little bit about the fact that Amazon and uh, Google and Facebook and everybody is trying to get into your pocketbook. People want to lend you money. Apple just came out with their credit card. And there's been a lot of uproar over that. Facebook wants to have a digital currency. And Google is now offering something called Cachet. And they've partnered up with Citigroup. So what do I think about that? Because I'm in the financial services industry, right? You'd think I would dislike it because it would be a competitive uh, thing for us. Well, that's not the reason. The problem is simply this. When you are using social media sites that know everything about what you're doing, You have to follow the money in terms of lending. You see, money is really made. Big money is lending. Debt inhibits growth. Let me repeat that. Debt inhibits growth. If you want to get ahead in life, you got to pay off your debt. If you have a car, if you can't afford to pay cash, then you shouldn't buy a car. You say, well, I can't do that right now. Well, then that means when your car is paid for, you keep making that payment so that the next time you get ready to buy, you have a trade-in, and you then take that money and you pay cash. When you pay with debt, okay, you're not paying the price. You're paying with more than that. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have somebody who says, um, you know, 0% financing. Okay, well, yeah, that, that's not a bad idea. If you have 0% financing and they're willing to finance you for five years, and you have enough money to pay cash for the car, then you're going to have a siloed sum of money. That's why we use the word silos here. You have a siloed sum of money, and you're methodically working that money down, okay? Or you're paying for that car out of your working capital. I mean, if somebody wants to give you money for free, that's fine. Just make sure they're not jacking the price up higher to accommodate for the zero interest. We actually had a vehicle years ago, and I pay cash for my vehicles. I had a vehicle years ago. This was when uh, all heck broke years ago. 
everything went to hell in a handbasket, and they were offering 0% on, a, uh, on Suburbans. And the trade-in value they gave me on this car that I had, I had an, I had an older Suburban. It was unbelievable. So, okay, you're going to give me like three, $4,000 more at the dealership for this car, and you're going to give me a new one at what I consider tissue, and you're also going to give me zero interest? Yeah, you damn right. You got a good deal there. But if you have a car payment and you're paying interest, you can't do that. You can't buy things today with the idea that you're going to pay it with income from tomorrow. Okay. Or for, uh, yeah, in the future. I said tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. It's just, it's a concept that for me is just, if you don't have it, don't buy it. That's all there is to it. And it's a hard thing to do, but what you're going to see with more and more of these companies like Google offering their checking account, they just want to know more about you in order to get you to lend to borrow more money. These robo-advisors are all doing this. It's like uh, these robo-advisors say, okay, you know, you can have, um, you've got a brokerage account and uh, we're going to go ahead and let you have a, a margin account. So you have a thousand dollars in there and we'll let you borrow, um, you can borrow $2,000. And then well, now you got 2,000, we'll let you hit, you know, buy 4,000. So you keep leveraging that thousand dollars until you got a boatload of money, you're, you're leveraged. Well, who, you got to pay interest on that money unless you default on it. Here's my, here's bottom line. Debt inhibits growth. And so, again, we've got an article that has just come out today where uh, Google is uh, going to be lending money. And uh, they're going to be lending money by way of, uh, whoa, checking accounts. And so the reality in life is, I think that one of the problems that we have out there is far too many people don't understand that this whole rush to get into the financial services industry is nothing more than treating you like a retail customer. You're just a number. I think what we're doing here, our approach, which means we are really, truly giving advice. Now they talk about, we want to be a partner and deeply connected with you and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you get on Google and every single thing you're doing, they're tracking you and now they want to get your, your checking account. I got to tell you, I just think it's a really bad move. We'll talk more about this as the uh, weeks, months, and years go on. But uh, yeah, the, this whole banking situation, something's going to happen. There's going to be a hot button at some point in time and it will fall apart. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is Paul Truesdell, and you are listening to Connecting Dots. Make sure to read the disclaimer in our show notes before each episode. Connecting Dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Always read and all applicable information carefully before making an investment decision. Investments are not bank guaranteed, not FDIC insured, and may lose value. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed. Well, that uh, ended our uh, main segment for Connecting Dots. And uh, this is a little song that I, I just love this thing. It really does um, kind of really is the epitome of the way we do business here. We uh, we get right down to work every day. She ain't mine, but she looks fine. Gonna 
So when it hits the fan, we're the men and women with the plan. So here's the thing, whether you like it or not. One of the items that we talk about all the time is we don't like financial planners because financial planners today are people that implement financial product. Now we're looking specifically for those of you who are accountants. You don't need to be a CPA, but we're really looking for those who have a good, strong accounting background. You have a tax background. Preferably, you prepare income taxes, but you're willing to give advice on a planning basis. Now, what we do here, we do the advice, okay? But we're really looking for a planner, someone that crafts a plan, because there are every once in a while people say, I want a financial plan. We don't do that. We don't write the plans. We say that financial planning is a tool, not a service, and we empower our clients to do their own thing. But every once in a while, we have somebody says, I don't want to do it. I want somebody else to do it. So they want a written plan, but that's not the same as implementing products. So if you want to be involved with our firm as a true fiduciary-based planner, let us know. We'll have a conversation, but you got to be able to deal with people by way of the internet. Give us a call at 212-433-2525, but ideally get online and use all the contact forms we have there. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.